0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Beyond the Bulletin, America's number one podcast. In the woodlands. In, the, in this part of <laughs> the parish life building. No, As num- it is
1: known around my condo. Number one in our hearts. Uh, so mm. I'm Stephen Lenehan, director of communications and development for the parish. And this is Mike Gormley,
0: a former chubby little homeschooler who now is <laughs> the coordinator of evangelization. But you do it so
1: well. You do it so well. Man, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> As it is, Wait, no, no, wait no, no. what are we talking about again? Yeah, being a chubby homeschooler. <laughs> got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we, that it's off to such a great start. Yeah. This mm. is, is going to be good. Mm-hmm. So we are going to kind of dive into a topic that was another suggestion of yep. a parishioner. Yeah. Um, it's a little dark. It's going to be a little heavy, but we're going to make it light because we're... Awkwardly inappropriate sometimes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Uh, How do you take a topic like this? Yeah, and make so, it light. Mm. So, what is the topic, Gomer? Uh,
0: the topic is death. 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 Catholic death. Death. Funerals, and the four last things. Ooh, that's a good title. Death, yeah. funerals, and the four last things.
1: Noted. Noted. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we're gonna talk a little bit about death, which this is kind of appropriate uh, depending Ew. on what time of year you're listening to this particular one. Uh, we actually just went through. Uh, what in the church is called uh ha- all hallows tide which is a fun fact did not know that okay. yeah all hallows tide is the 3 days of um all hallows eve also known as halloween all saints day and all souls day we love our uh, we love our threes in the church right <laughs> our, our triduums if you will so yeah, we, do. we just kind of went through all hallows tide so it's kind of an appropriate time to be talking sounded about like it sounded like you said all hells tide no i didn't That was just my accent. Okay, fair enough. Sorry. Which
0: I was thinking, like, maybe you're trying to sneak in an anti-Alabama joke. No. Like, roll tide, hell tide, but no.
1: No, no, but... But... There you go. Sorry to all you Bama fans. All right, so... um, All dogs go to heaven, remember that. (laughs) Um, So, here's the thing... the reason that like all hallows' is is it's kind of the it's at the beginning of november but it's also interesting because on the liturgical calendar november is where we're kind of wrapping up the liturgical year yeah, so ordinary you, time ordinary yeah. time you start to hear in the readings uh, a lot more discussion uh, about the end times and preparation for that sort of thing as we get closer to uh, the solemnity of Christ the King Christ the King, which is the last Sunday before Advent begins, yeah. and then we kind of reset again yeah, and Advent for those of you who don 't know the the church gave us the
0: modern calendar it 's called the Gregorian calendar after Pope Gregory the Great, but the liturgical calendar purposely is not an annual calendar but it's so dang close i mean december starts the new liturgical year with advent and then the advent is a penitential season that carries us to christmas and then as catholics we celebrate 12 days of christmas but as you all know in our culture today we celebrate uh you know thanksgiving to christmas day as christmas and then we don't <laughs> do anything after that. But it's supposed to go from Christmas to the Feast of the Epiphany. And that's like the right, right, right. the
1: grand new year. But you digress. Now to death. <laughs> that was your happy time. Let's talk yeah, about that. So, no, we're, we're excited. <laughs> we're excited for baby Jesus, but we're not there yet. All right. <laughs> so we got we to gotta get through. Uh... As, as Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, <laughs> the shadow of the
0: cross falls even over the manger. Wow. So let's talk about death, my friend. That's kind of depressing. Kind it of is. beautiful. It is very beautiful. The idea of uh, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, being laid in a food trough, which is what a manger is, in the city of Bethlehem, which means house of bread. House of bread, right. Uh, it's pretty powerful. But the, um, the bigger thing that I think when we talk about a topic like death is that in America we are deathly afraid of death. Jerry mm. Seinfeld has this hilarious line that he's been saying which is uh according to statistics more people are afraid of public speaking than death. So if you're ever at a funeral, uh it's better to be the one in the casket than it is to be the guy giving the eulogy. Which is kind of funny. But this <laughs> this notion of because we have so medicalized and sanitized death from a you know, most people die, not everyone, but most people die in hospitals whether in the ER or geriatric care units or whatever. Or hospice. Yeah, hospice care. Um, hospice, I think, is one of the greatest things because it's like we treat the pain and we dignify them as in their last moments of life. And I, I walked with my grandfather. He was the only person that I was very, very close to. He was the first person, I should say, that I was very close to who died. Mm-hmm. and I was with him most of the way, except the actual, the day that he died, I was on in a rented cargo van driving out to St. Anthony's Confirmation Retreat when I was a youth minister. And yeah. so, um, but the hospice care was a beautiful experience. Now, uh, what is what is death, Stephen? What are we talking well, about? Well, talk I mean, I
1: think, like, kind of going back to what you're talking about, that Americans have either sanitized yeah. or have a fear of death. You know, it's interesting, because you compare, like, um, you compare... Uh, all Souls Day, right? Which is all about praying for the souls in purgatory. It's November 2nd every year. And in America, we kind of gloss over that sometimes yeah. in the church. Whereas if you look at um, the church in other parts of the world, particularly in Mexico, um, which has kind of created a full-blown, um, it's become a full-blown secular holiday yeah. as well. Um, in in uh, Mexico, they celebrate uh, the Day of the Dead, as they call it. Um, and, you know, It's a beautiful thing because they feel like on All Souls Day they are connected with their deceased relatives. If anyone's ever seen the movie Coco by Disney, came out like a year or two ago. It is my favorite new Disney movie. I talk about <laughs> it all the time in the office. I sing the songs occasionally if anyone's listening. Um, just Elizabeth. Just Elizabeth Ricard, yeah. She actually sings them too, so it's fun. We sing back and forth across the hallway. <laughs> but uh, what I love about that movie is it takes, it takes uh, and the, the idea of Day of the Dead in Mexico is that it takes this idea of death. And while it is such a final thing for our earthly bodies, uh, death is not the end for us as Catholic Christians, right? It's it's really the beginning of new life um, in eternity. Hopefully, uh, hopefully with our Father in heaven. But maybe we got to go through uh, the penitential eternal car wash, as I call it, of purgatory. <laughs> um, and hopefully, it, it, it's not an eternity uh, separated from God, which is what we know as hell. So. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there is a sanitization of, of death and, and a fear of it. No, we don't want to talk about these things. It's kind of taboo, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but and, re- and, I, and I know this
0: from personal ministry with people on their deathbed. Um, if you have a loved one who is nearing death or just in the future when someone uh, comes close, um, because there's such a fear of talking about it, um, oftentimes, people will describe sociologists and stuff. I have a friend who's this is the, one of their big things is death, dying, and bereavement because it's such a taboo topic. The person dying can feel isolated from family members who don't want to say, who don't want to face reality because it's awkward or uncomfortable or whatever, right. or, or right. they're they're just trying to comfort. And when they don't do this, priests will tell me that then people don't want to call for last rites and viaticum, which means food for the journey. When you receive the Eucharist one last time, they don't want to do that because they think like, well, now you're giving and you're not, you're going gentle into that good right. night, and you're not raging against the dying of the light. But that's not an, uh, that's not a good thing. The church has always had cultivated a devotion to Saint Joseph, patron of the dying. Why is he the patron dying? Because Scripture doesn't record his death. Some traditions hold that Saint Joseph, the foster Father of Christ, was an older man who married Mary. Western tradition tend to focus on he was a younger man, but when jesus public ministry begins, Joseph is no longer nowhere to be found, so we know he died in that typical dad typical man uh, when there's work to be done he's hanging he's out gone. he's hanging out in
1: the man cave in Nazareth
0: <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> Um, but the idea is, <laughs> see, this is how we make it fun. Um, but the idea <laughs> is he died in the arms of Jesus and Mary. What better death could there be? So you pray to St. Joseph for a good death. And
1: so I remember, that you die the way he did in the arms of Jesus and Mary. Yeah. and Beautiful. Thus in, the, in the
0: arms of the church. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, praying for a good death. How bizarre is that? But think about the Hail Mary. Pray for us sinners now, now. and at the hour of death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, what's interesting is for me, I've, um, I've kind of, I saw all my grandparents pretty much kind of at the end of their life and Mm -hmm. and saw what that's like at the very end. The only time I've ever actually been in the room with someone at the moment of death was my own father. Um, he, he passed away in 2011 and you know, anyone who knows me or particularly at that time knew me, um, knows that that experience in my life was one of the most profound spiritual experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Um, I mean, you and know, you've
0: shared sh- it with us. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it I is, mean, you, you think
1: about like, uh, I've, I've been on so many retreats, mm-hmm. been to adoration, been to masses all over the world, uh, been to papal masses with the popes, all these different things, all these different pilgrimage sites. One of the most profound spiritual experiences I've ever had yep. was praying the rosary after my dad had received viaticum and confession, all these things. Uh, and and sitting and kneeling and praying while he took his last breath. And for me, it was a powerful experience because I felt like um, at that moment that there was a presence of, uh, of the Blessed Mother, of, mm-hmm. of the angels and the saints in heaven. And, and I don't know how to describe it. I know it sounds kind of weird, and that's kind of my own private rele- uh, revelation of the experience. But it was a profound moment. And what was also interesting was, in my family, you know, I'm I'm the like the churchy one of my four siblings, yeah. like because I've uh, I've worked for the church that sort of thing, and so they were all kind of like looking at me like, well, you know, Stephen, are you going to like lead us in a prayer kind of thing? And I didn't really have the words. I was going through what right. they were going through. Right. I was grieving in that moment too, and experiencing the sadness and all that sort of thing. But what was beautiful was being able to fall back on the prayers of Mother Church in that moment, and yeah. not having to have the words because. Uh, the church had the words for me and to be able to fall back on the rosary and the Our Father and these, these different prayers that so often we think are so hollow and ritualistic and we just go through them and recite them. But, man, when the rubber hits the road and you're in that moment, uh, those prayers kind of become clutch, um, yeah. and they're very comforting in those moments.
0: Yeah, there was actually a study done on Christian – I, I want to say maybe the Barna Group commissioned it, which is a Christian study group. And it was those who are going through depression and anxiety – who lose the ability to be creative in life in everyday circumstances. The way they get through, they said that actually those who come from a liturgical tradition, so Catholics and Anglicans and Episcopalians and even Presbyterians, who have a, a storehouse, a treasury of memorized traditional prayers... Uh, they actually fare better in those circumstances because they don't feel like they have to make something up or say the right thing. They just turn to what you know the right. prayers of the church. And so um, there's a great quote. Uh, I think one time or there there's a tendency in Christianity that where we can kind of minimize death. Yeah. Um, one of the parishioners kind of talked to us about this. Sent us an article and it was about the old Latin Requiem Mass and how the priests wore black and it was a a Poignant moment of suffering and of confronting death as something as the last enemy of humankind, right? That death is something evil that is a consequence of sin, and so the idea is the old Requiem Mass was we pray, we pray, we pray for the soul of the deceased, um, so that they could be loosed, uh, hopefully that they'll make it to purgatory or be loosed from purgatory into heaven for all eternity. But there is this great line. So I don't want to I don't want to over spiritualize the pain that people feel when someone they love dies. Right. We could kind of be, well, now they're in a better place. It's like, don't jump to that. We Or, now, those who, or, or
1: now they're an angel. Yeah. You are not an angel. You are not an angel. You don't become an angel. An angel is an entirely
0: die. different being. <laughs> That's right. Right. If dogs go to heaven, they're still dogs. They don't become people. People don't become angels. <laughs> Let's right? not get into that topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only Catholic dogs go to heaven. So, uh, so this is from uh, <laughs> the book of Hebrews. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, and now this is so powerful, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. It's not just death. It's also the fear of death. And the Catechism talks about how death is the end of our earthly life. There's no do-over. There's no 2.0, right? When okay. you die, that's it. First comes death, then the judgment, book of Hebrews says. But also, we do not in any way, shape, or form, Stephen, believe in reincarnation.
1: No, we do not. We do
0: not. So uh, the Catechism has this great line talking about it's the end of our normal life, right? That aspect of death leads to urgency to our lives, and I had a uh, the household that I was in that I was obsessed with, and still am. Our motto was "Frater Memento More," brothers, remember your death. Right. Why? Because that ends lends itself to urgency in life if you can do it.
1: Yeah, if you remember, yeah, if you have a healthy remembrance of your death, um, it helps you to, in a lot of ways, overcome sin because then you become you want to become yeah. a more virtuous person on the in a daily in a daily, uh, yeah. way, kind of way, you know, you're, yeah. you're a lot of times it's easy if we forget our death or if we forget the reality that we're only here for however long, then it's easy to become very secularized and, yeah. and just kind of think that you, you kind of switch from being a virtuous person to maybe a person of values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, uh, one of my favorite professors and writers, uh, Dr. Peter Kreft, he talks about it all the time is that, yeah. uh, in his book, he's got a few books on it that We've gone too far as a society to be, fo- to be focused on values, and values um, can change a lot. They can fluctuate. I can value one thing yeah. uh, one day and then not value it the next day. I think that day, was but... his book, Back to Virtue. Yes, Back to Virtue. Yeah, yeah, but, but virtue is a constant thing. Um, virtue is unchanging to be a virtuous person, and that's something that the idea of memento mori, remember your death, uh, helps us to, to – that's what helps us to become saints when we yeah. live that way. So, yeah, and
0: that's why death is ultimately transformed by Jesus Christ. Right, and we can't ignore the fact that the. Here's a great quote from Hans Urs von Balthasar, everyone's favorite theologian. I'm sorry,
1: did you sneeze? (laughs) Could you say that again?
0: Hans Urs von Balthasar. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I love for those
1: in the back. Who would that be?
0: Uh, He is a famous Swiss theologian who was a super genius. He literally gave away all of his Mozart albums. Because he had every note memorized and can play it back perfectly in his head. Nerd. I know, right? <laughs> That's cool. Um, he literally read all of German literature in the history of modern Germany. So 500 years. And then his doctoral thesis was the twilight of the German soul. Why do Germans tend towards apocalyptic nihilism? I Isn't can, that awesome? Uh,
1: I I can literally see you geeking out right now, (laughs) hoping that one day you will be remembered as the American Von Balthazar. And based on the amount of books in your office, I would say you're not far from it. So go on. (laughs) I digress.
0: I have memorized all of Tupac, and I have given my (laughs) albums away, mostly because they're on Spotify now. Uh, But no, the idea of death... Death being transformed by Christ. He had this line where he said, "God is so fully alive that He could afford to be dead." And I shared this with our adult confirmation class last night. I heard this from uh, a priest who's now down at um, Saint Teresa's in Sugarland, Father Urell. He was—he's he, incredible. And he said uh, he did this talk on the death of Christ, um, the Passion of the Lamb, or something like that. And he said, "For us human beings, our experience of death is—it is the end. No one comes back." So for us, the miracle is Easter Sunday, but from the divine perspective, the author and source of all life, the miracle thing is that that God died, right? And so you look at it from these perspectives, death, by the death of Christ, death has fundamentally changed because God, the author of life, entered into our death and died in perfect solidarity with us. So that changes the game. And so this notion of death going from the ultimate enemy to becoming not the period at the end of human life, but uh, the sentence of human life, but a comma, right? Or maybe a semicolon. But that there is more (laughs) afterwards. And it's the more afterwards that funerals take on their significance. Mm -hmm. A funeral rite, and this is a a quote from the article, and and I say this with all sensitivity because – we all, when someone dies, we all that we love, we remember the good things about them, right? And we celebrate those things, and, and we should, and we absolutely should. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. There's no but there, right? <laughs> we absolutely should. Full stop. One of the most intense funerals I've ever been a part of was a buddy of mine from college, from Franciscan, who died. He jumped off a bridge, not trying to kill himself. Oh,
1: I, I remember that. Yeah, he's, yeah, he
0: was a really good friend of mine, yeah. and his parents actually bought my plane ticket so I could fly out to the funeral. And there were about 40 college students all gathered in their house with his casket overnight. And we all took, t- I mean, we just wept and shared stories. and It's like an Irish wake. It was the most beautiful experience of my entire life because I felt in perfect union. I wept with those who wept and I rejoiced with those who rejoice. We told stories. We, it was, it was incredible. Um, but the tendency to be is to want to turn a funeral into a canonization thing, right?
1: And yeah. I, and
0: I, again, I'm saying this with all respect. The purpose of a funeral is to worship God together as a community, right? And so it's the mass, right? But also to pray for the soul of the faithful departed, that they might be united forever to Christ. And so that's the, that's the point. So some people, like as Catholics, we do weddings differently, Right. Because we put it at the center of the mass, we also do funerals differently. And some people, it's a struggle because we have this cultural view. You know, well, we're, we're gonna... we have
1: the American view of things, right? right? And so, right. A, a lot of times at funerals, and I've talked to many priests who get very frustrated with this. And and yeah. I got to be honest, I've I've been to funerals where I get frustrated, um, particularly uh, in the Catholic setting where we we try to add certain aspects into the Catholic funeral rite that really don't belong in the rite. Um, And it's because we've seen so many funerals in movies and on TV and that sort of thing. Um, And and the reality is, you know, there's ways of remembering a person's life that you can do outside of the funeral rite. Um, And I think for Matt Covey's thing, it was beautiful because... Matt Covey's your friend who passed away. My friend who died. Yeah, Yeah. sorry. Thank you.
0: Uh, We, after, for the reception... Right. Uh, we they set up a microphone and for four hours we told stories yeah and just shared his life and all that stuff. That's an appropriate place for that stuff. Now if you if you're listening and you've done a funeral, don't think I'm dogging yet. We're not dogging anyone, but we do we want to give the the right understanding of why we have a funeral. It right. is to bring the community together to worship God. And to pray for the the faithful departed, right?
1: Right, and I think that sometimes you know, out of a sense of being pastoral and sensitive to the, particularly to the family who's mourning the death, particularly if it was a tragic death or depending on the circumstances, it can be really difficult. Some of these funerals, Um, and so sometimes like this this idea that they become like a canonization instead of a funeral, like you're saying. Well, the reason we don't want to do that is because that kind of goes. Back on everything that we have catechized that individual during their life, hopefully, yeah. or that we evangelize and teach each other within the church, which is that there is a reality um, of of heaven, purgatory, and hell yeah. um, and and so the purpose of that mass is to pray for that soul and and yeah. to entrust that soul to the care of God, um, not to um, you know, I hate to say this, but not to show a slideshow. Not that we do that. We don't really do that at funerals, um, at least not at St. Anthony's. Um, that stuff is like you said. That's for the wake. That's for the um, the reception. The reception. That's for everything. Absolutely. That that funeral rite, that funeral mass, is so specific and it's so beautiful yeah. and so comforting. Um, if you listen to the prayers, to entrust that person yeah. to the care of God and to His judgment. And, and, to this pray, is a, and to pray for mercy for that imperfect yeah. soul. Because I know this. When I die, I need everybody up in here praying <laughs> for me because I got some things that I'm a little afraid about when I get to the, when I get to the pearly gates. So uh, I need everybody praying for me. I need that mercy. That's why we offer masses for the deceased. Yeah. It's yeah. specifically because we're entrusting that soul to the care of God. Yeah, and to that point, Catechism
0: 1013, death is the end of man's earthly pilgrimage of the time of grace and mercy which God offers him to work out his earthly life in keeping with the divine plan and his ultimate destiny. So when it's completed, you done, right? Like yeah. there's no there's no more faking it till you make it or something like that. Now, the important thing is because of Christ's death, he changed death from being man's worst enemy uh, to actually having a positive meaning. In your baptism, people don't realize this, baptism is first a negative thing and then a positive thing. St. Paul in Romans 6 says, Do you not know that those of you who are baptized into Christ... We're baptized into his death. And he says, so don't you know that if you've been united in a death like his, you shall rise in a resurrection like his. And so the idea of baptism is how we get inserted into Christ. (laughs) This is why sacraments matter. It's not just about you as an individual believing in Jesus. Our faith is also ecclesial. So that means that it's a kingdom thing. And so when we are baptized in the church, whether you're a little baby or an adult, um, you are baptized into, inserted into the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection so that when you earthly die, when your earthly existence come to an end, it is not just a negative experience, though the loss is profound for us who remain. It is also now you entering into that life of Christ that you should have been living your whole life. And so, um, for many of us, like the, we can't just keep it with the natural understanding of death as a grieving process. We also see it as Christ changed it, and this is very important for us to talk about purgatory, heaven, and hell. Now, here's the deal: first comes death, then the judgment. When you die, your soul is immediately judged by God. Okay, your soul.
1: <laughs> oh man, I'm nervous.
0: <laughs> your soul is not judged by you. Okay.
1: You don't get to make excuses to truth itself, right? Oh, bummer, because I'm am, I am very confident when I look in the mirror in the mornings. I feel good about myself. No, just kidding. And you, I mean, that's why St. Paul says, look
0: at yourself with sober judgment. It yeah. is so, we are excellent. I actually say this all the time. Uh, I also, if I'm speaking to a room of of adults, I'll say, "How many of y'all are in sales?" And like three or four hands will go up. I say, "Every hand should go up because we are excellent salesmen and saleswomen. When we want to buy something, we shouldn't buy. <laughs> when we want to do something, <laughs> we, we sell it to it. You know what? I deserve this. Yeah. I need this boat or whatever. You're due. I'm due. You know <laughs> like that sports ball team. I'm due. Uh, but the idea is um, purgatory which so many of our Protestant brothers and sisters, not everyone, but some, or most, have a struggle with. Purgatory is not eternal. Heaven is eternal. Hell is everlasting. Purgatory is not. It's the heavenly car wash. It's the heavenly car wash. That's what I call it. It is the final place of purification from all of your attachment to sin. Purgatory is not possible without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some Protestants, so I, I do the class inclusion where people who are Protestant becoming Catholic. We did a whole class, basically, on purgatory. And they had amazing objections and questions, but the idea is purgatory doesn't exist because you have to atone for your own sins on top of what Jesus did. It is a full and final separation of you from your sin. So, Stephen, Mm. let me ask you a very personal question. Yeah, Have you ever sinned? Yes. Have you ever gone to confession for those sins? Yes. Have you ever recommitted the same sin that you went to confession for?
1: Yes. Okay. Now, Are you about to absolve me publicly? I am. Okay, great. Go on.
0: Absolvo tehi. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Have you you ever thought, like, when you're doing, like, an examination of conscience before you go to confession, like, why do I keep doing this sin over and over again?
1: Um... Yeah, I guess I've probably had some. I, I don't know that I think it like in your voice in my head. <laughs> you should. But I, <clears throat> yeah, but I'm sure I've thought it at some point.
0: So St. Francis of Sales says, if you find that you're coming to the Lord in confession with a laundry list of like, I speed, I lie, I do this. He says, okay, ask yourself why. Why yeah. do you do those things? Like, don't just confess the sin, which is the fruit. Right, get to the root of the get sin. Get to the root. Yeah. Purgatory burns out the roots. Right, mm. so the idea is, it's not just sins that we commit.
1: So it's a car wash of fire. <laughs>
0: we are going to push <laughs> this <gonna> analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just it's not just um, getting re- getting rid of the sin. It's getting rid of my attachment to sin. So it's like the when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they kept saying that they're in the desert, they're free of slavery, yet they looked back and longed for the flesh pots of Egypt, and they constantly murmur against God. Yeah, and Saint Francis of Sales says, you know, basically. Okay, he doesn't say this. I'm going to say this. You can take the boy out of <laughs> Egypt, can't take Egypt out of the boy. Yes, right? That's Saint
1: Gomer of the Woodlands. <laughs> yeah,
0: pray for him. Uh, <laughs> but the idea is, purgatory is that cleansing place where you are, where your actual, your most base desires are purified, purged of its evil attachment, your pride, your vanity, your arrogance, your self conceit, purged of all of that. It I'm not arrogant. Them. No, no, no one would ever say that. Go on. <laughs> the, uh, so that that's the thing is, people need to see that it's not just our sin; it's our attachment to sin. Right. Our longing, spiritually longing for the flesh pots of Eden. Yeah, I mean, I guess
1: like that makes sense. That would probably be the question that I feel like I have asked. Like, yes. So I guess the answer is yes. When I've when I've examined my conscience, it's like sometimes it's like, why am I drawn to yeah. these sins? Like, I I know that I want to be holy, but then I'm still drawn to rage or whatever it is yeah. sometimes. And it's like, why am I drawn to do these things? It's that, that concupiscence factor. It's like, yeah. I, I, I wish I didn't have concupiscence.
0: Yeah, St. Paul in Romans 7. Why, I do the very thing I hate, and I don't do the thing I want. Right. Who will deliver me from this wretched body of death Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus delivered us, but we still struggle with sin. It's still a war. That's why St. Paul says you have to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. The way you do that is frequenting confession, frequenting the sacraments, you know, doing all this stuff. But here's the good news your purgatory can be done here on earth. Purgatory ain't a pleasant thing. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says there's only one foundation, Jesus Christ, and whoever builds upon it, their work will be tested. I'm doing this Mm -hmm. off of memory, so I'm going to mess it up a little bit. But he said, and the day, meaning the judgment day, will reveal it. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw will be retested by fire. So wood, hay, straw. Wood burns, hay burns quicker, straw burns the fastest. Gold, silver, precious gems, stones, whatever. Um, That stuff, those things are purified by fire. Mm. So that which is virtuous within you becomes purified. That which is ugly within you is burned away. And then St. Paul says they will suffer loss through fire, but they themselves won't be lost. So purgatory is only a way station. There you go. There's the
1: scriptural reference right there. Yeah.
0: Purgatory is the way station to heaven. And it does not endure for eternity.
1: Purgatory will one day cease. Which is why we have prayers in the church and devotions in the church that specifically pray for the souls in purgatory. Um, Absolutely, man, I really don't want to have to be one of those, but I'm afraid I will. Yeah,
0: purgatory is not a pleasant place. All who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as
1: to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the
0: joy of heaven. 10.30, Catechism reference. So
1: that's an important distinction real quick to make there is that the belief of purgatory, though, if you go to purgatory, you are going to heaven yes there's no like it's not like a purgatory is not like a car wash where like at the end of the car wash I love this car wash analogy. Car wash really a fire. <laughs> it's not like when you get to the end of it, like there's two directions you can drive out. You can right. either go left or right, heaven right. or hell. Like no, if you're if you're going through that purification, it is purifying you to enter into the kingdom of God in heaven.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. There's a wonderful book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and it is brilliant. But it it's a um, it's kind of presented as purgatory, but it's not. Yeah. Where it's like this bus station, and you could decide whether or not you want to go to heaven. It's a or, or not. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant book, but don't go to that book for a doctrine on purgatory. It's not meant yeah. to be that. Um, but purgatory are those for those who die in the grace and friendship of God. And so uh, the With catechism makes attachments.
1: a point. huh? With unhealthy attachments. Right,
0: right. The final purification of the elect, which is entirely different for the punishment for the damned. We had a guy ask, take me and Brian out to lunch, and he said, is it wrong? Brian Jones. Yeah, Brian Jones, sorry, coordinator of liturgy. Is it wrong to torture someone? So we talked about the notion of torture. And then he Real said, Real quick,
1: yeah. When he asked that question, did he like have you over for lunch and like? Well, I mean, it was like, a, I guess a basement? You would describe it as a basement. Okay. It was
0: out in the woods. Go uh, on.
1: Go on. I think <laughs> I would have run at that point. <laughs> he was talking to me. So, so you weren't like at, intercom intercom were at Torture's Tacos? <laughs> yeah. We were at Torture's Tacos.
0: <laughs> uh, so good. Um,
1: but he said, uh, so why is it that God gets to torture people for all eternity? Mm. God doesn't torture people for all eternity would be my response to that. Okay. People Let's, torture themselves by choosing to be separated from God. Right? Uh, I would say, uh, yeah. So often like, like the you, way we like, say it is people send
0: themselves to
1: hell Yeah, you by condemn yourself God. to hell. Right. You condemn yourself. Condemnation is, is uh, out of our own self-obsession, really. And that, I think that that's kind of an important distinction is that, yeah. like, God is all merciful, but he also gives us a free will. And he's not going to force us to be in a relationship with him. Do you know where, like, 90% of the church's teaching on hell comes from? Not Dante.
0: Not Dante. Not uh, Thomas Aquinas. Uh, Augustine. <laughs> not St. Augustine.
1: Uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, well, yeah. The there, person who there, there's a lot us. of that in the gospel.
0: <laughs> the person who taught us about hell, Gehenna, which means the Valley of Hinnom, which is where uh, it was like a, a posh suburb outside of Jerusalem, prime real estate. You can actually still go on
1: a bus tour past it. Now. Yeah, and yeah. it
0: it was a trash dump at Jesus' time because one of the Davidic kings would use it for children's sacrifice. They had an idol built there. It was horrific, and they turned it into a trash dump. That's why Jesus says... Um, the, the the unrighteous will go to Gehenna where the worm doesn't turn and the fire doesn't die, right? Because they would just set fires to the trash. That's old, old world sanitation. You dump your trash in one area, then you burn it. There were continual fires. What does that say about the souls in hell that they made of their life trash, right? That is yeah. epic to say, but Jesus is still judge. God is still the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so, when we stand before God, he's going to basically ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you believe in my son? Did you worship him, love him? You can't have your sin and have a relationship with God. And I think that's a problem for people today. They think they think of God as like their indulgent grandfather or grandmother who wears that T-shirt that says, Grandma's number one rule is I'm allowed to spoil the kids or whatever that stuff
1: is. Yeah, like... Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like when you, when you uh, mess up and, like, grandma or grandpa is disappointed, but they still love you, yeah. and they're still going to take you to Waffle House.
0: <laughs> God, you are such a Georgia boy. God's I love me some
1: Waffle cool. House. <laughs>
0: but, but God is a father, and his goal is to raise you up to full stature and maturity in Christ Jesus. Yeah. He's not here to indulge us. I think sometimes we sentimentalize the love of the father yeah. where we think it's like, like – and, and to be honest, sentimental – Ism is okay. Bad.
1: Real quick. Yeah. Side note. Here we go. I really hate like when people like oh, and I'm I'm about to like get really judgy on a bunch of Christians, but like when people are like, that's like Abba, my daddy. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, yes, he is. Like, you mean when God people like
0: start their prayers like
1: Daddy. Yeah, don't do that. Stop. Stop being weird, Christians. Have a healthy relationship with God the Father. I digress. Go on. But the idea is, so if you're suffering and you feel alienated from God,
0: receiving the Father's love, Yeah. if you're afflicted, that comfort is amazing. And there's a reason why people identify with that approach, right? But we can't also lose sight of the fact that God chastises those whom he loves because he wants to make you a mature person. He's not here to indulge you. Right. Right? He's not here. We pray for God to get rid of our suffering. God prays to, or God moves to use that suffering to make us into good people. Right. And so sometimes God will afflict us when we're too comfortable. But God always does Discipline, it. Discipline, making right. you a
1: disciple.
0: Yes. But God always does it with the eye to forming you into the person that he wants you to be. And it's always done in love. It's never spiteful. God isn't sitting there like, oh, those pesky humans enjoying their football games a little too much on Sunday. Right? Mm-hmm. He's not doing that. But at the same time, so <laughs> like, I say all yeah. this because hell is real. Yeah. And so this guy was asking me, he said, Well, then why does God get to torture people for all eternity? I said, Well, number one, who goes to hell? Those who have rejected God and his grace. Okay, those who have rejected God and his grace through whether mortal sin, rejecting the gospel, whatever it is, those who are unrepentant mortal sinners are in hell. So if you look at it from that perspective, you colluded with that judgment, just like you said. Self-condemnation. Yeah, I send myself to hell. But here's the deal. You don't get to negate you. You want to be happy. That every human being wants to be happy. Right. We might think robbing, stealing, plundering, right, is what makes us happy. I don't know why I said plundering. I don't because I you I guess, watched Pirates of the Caribbean yeah, yesterday. Cause, cause we're just talking to a, <laughs> a city of pirates. Um, we're in Pittsburgh, uh, but the uh, it was a sports ball joke. Huh? Uh, good job. Go on. <sighs> so the idea is, God made us for Himself. What if I don't want God? I want me to be God. Well, mm. I don't get to change that innate, deep down, though twisted now human desire. To be united to God. So if I choose anything but God, I will burn in the frustration of never being satisfied. St. Thomas Aquinas said, God alone satisfies. Right. You can drink a cold Coca Cola or Coke Zero, let's be honest, on a hot day. It's very satisfying. Right. But it doesn't last. Pleasure doesn't last. Intellectual achievements, much better, it doesn't last. Relational achievements, healthy marriage, family, whatever, great. But it's not perfect. Only God fully satisfies. And what if you choose yourself over God? And someone would say, well, who would do that?
1: We We see it all the time. We do it every time we sin in a grave way. That's right.
0: Especially. That's right. So, I mean, I would never do that. But Stephen's done it three times since we've been recording this podcast. I'm
1: doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Making a joke out of sin. And
0: out of eternal separation from God. You should go to confession. well, but here's so, the thing. Yeah.
1: So so let's get back real quick because yeah. we, we just like – We did. We got deep into it. Wow, 38 minutes so far. All right. Well, we probably need to wrap it up. <laughs> uh, but, well, here, but we got to talk about heaven too. Keep we going. Do, you well, go, we you do go. need to talk about heaven. So let's real quick go back to the Catholic funeral rite, okay? Okay. Because here's something that uh, this particular individual was talking about, the, the person that started this whole conversation was – Why has it become a thing for uh, the vestments at a funeral mass in the Catholic rite to be white when they were black for all those years? And so here's the thing. We're not picking on any priest that wears white at a a, a Catholic funeral mass, um, because a lot of times that's the only option they have. Like, for example, we don't have black vestments at St. Anthony. But why has that become a thing? Um, And is it because we've kind of forgotten sometimes as an American Catholic church that a funeral mass is not a canonization? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that wearing
0: the color white symbolizes resurrection. That's the importance of it, right? And so that's why you know it's this notion of we're not going to focus on the negative. But even then, I think there's an element of there can be, right? And it, like when I went to my buddy Matt Covey's funeral, his parents wore white. Dad bought a all white suit. Mom bought a white dress. And they said, "From here on out, we are celebrating the resurrection." So I'm not going to say, "Like, hey, you should you, or yeah, shouldn't." You should or yeah, shouldn't. Yeah. Um, but there is an element where I feel like culturally, because we've shifted away from the reality of death and the seriousness of living. Yeah. Living in accordance with the obedience of faith in God. That what ends up happening is we do we we do kind of. Um, miss that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll speak to it, you know, even from the experience of my father, like, I I love my dad, but he he was not a saint by any stretch of the imagination. He had a lot of flaws, and he had a lot of sin. Thanks be to God, he received the sacraments and went to confession the day, you know, uh, within the last 24 hours of his life, which is huge. Um, But like, you know, there was It would be silly of us to have gone to his funeral thinking like that we were going to a canonization mass because I don't know. I don't know. I hope my dad's kicking it with Mother Teresa, but I don't know that for sure. And that's why, like, for me, the most comforting thing um, about, like, for me, when we talk about, like, my dad's death and, and stuff like that, the most comforting things that anyone did for me after my dad died was having a mass offered for him. Um, because I know that my dad's soul needs those masses. And I've had multiple, even today, I still have people, um, you know, Michelle, who works at the front desk here, she's awesome. Um, shout out to Michelle, uh, and, and, you know, she, she remembered my dad's, uh, death anniversary and had a mass offered for him. Um, yeah. And so like those little things, they seem like little things like, Oh, that's really nice. But like, no, that really means a lot. That shows someone that understands, um, the reality of, of heaven and hell and the reality of eternity. And, um, and so those are the, the little gifts that can go a long way, um in the healing process I think for people if we understand and if we catechize ourselves better on death and uh final judgment and these last few things so uh we've talked a lot about the about death which is what this episode's about yeah um so cue the cocoa music no just kidding uh no we're gonna bring it up though now let's really quick let's (laughs) let's talk about heaven um Mm. because i want to go to heaven i can talk about heaven
0: all day i remember uh, in the 90s it was fashionable for people to complain about how i've never heard a priest give a homily about hell and then dr peter Crave said i've never heard one on heaven either Heaven, what is That's heaven? That's because they
1: all go over eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, Father.
0: Heaven is a experience. Uh, okay, what is heaven? Heaven is, number one, God's space. That's where God dwells. That is the throne room of God, if you think about it that way. Heaven, for us, is the union of a man or woman with uh, with God for all eternity in Christ Jesus. So what Christ accomplished at Christ accomplished At the paschal mystery of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension is applied to our lives, and we get to be united to God for all eternity. Heaven is not a pleasure banquet, a garden of earthly delights, all the things that were forbidden to man on earth, now we get to indulge in. So I say this because these are rival conceptions of the afterlife. Right. Presented by other religions. Right. Heaven is also... Not uh, annihilation of you as an individual, neither is hell. You were not annihilated, you still are you. For the rest of, uh, uh, for eternity,
1: Uh, which is a beautiful thing. God created you Mm -hmm. the way he created you because he loves you. He loves the way he created you. Yeah. So you are not absorbed
0: into the divine nature. You participate in it through the Holy spirit. Meaning
1: Gomer, I'm so excited to hear that you are going to be you for eternity. (laughs) (laughs) So watch out sinners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Wonderfully, beautifully, tragically Gomer, um,
0: No, but so this this notion of like it's not Nirvana. Nirvana is not you know heaven is not the that's a that's a Hindu teaching, right? Well, uh, or Buddhist, 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 Hindu, whatever. I mean, it's this notion Eastern. of there's this constant reincarnation until you finally get it right. Number one, that's not Catholic theology. That's a heresy, Copalagenism, where you you have to earn it. Right now, you finally got it right. You get to enter into Nirvana, where the ultimate lie is removed that right. you don't actually exist at all, and you're just absorbed into
1: the divine. That is nature. what it is not.
0: That is not true. Yeah. You are you for all eternity,
1: perfectly gloriously in the what we call the beatific vision. The
0: beatific vision. The beatific beatitude in Latin means happiness. Mm-hmm. So your desire for happiness, though because you're fallen, human nature we often pervert it and make it about pride and arrogance, your desire for happiness is fulfilled in heaven. Not just physical pleasure. Right. If you if we get to heaven and we find out it's not the in in one description, heaven as that banquet whereby we indulge in pleasures that here on earth were forbidden to us, such as having sex with virgins. Um, those did you just knock Muslims? I did because <laughs> their conception, though they use Can the phrase Sorry, heaven," no, though they use the phrase "heaven," is distinct from what Catholics mean when we say heaven. We mm. mean the union of man and woman with God in Christ for all eternity. That's why Jesus says eternal life, mm-hmm. right? It is a state of blessed happiness where we have perfect union with each other because we are all in Christ Jesus in the loving vision of God forever. We are 100% complete and satisfied. It is not that we get to eat a wonderful banquet with a lot of food, right, where we, get, where right. we have it's endless It's Right, it's better
1: than any sort of like earthly pleasure that we could think of yeah it's it's better than yeah you know sitting in a pile of eternal reese's pieces and never getting full (laughs) just eating them all day long right which
0: would be awesome which would be awesome because that's my favorite candy uh please send all reese's pieces to 7801 bay branch (laughs) drive (laughs) carol gomer Gomer. (laughs) uh wish martin luther would have posted a 95 reese's on the door huh (laughs)
1: No, no, we got to wrap this up because you're getting, getting, I'm going crazy. You're going crazy. Heaven
0: is for eternity. There is no sin in heaven. Your will, perfectly united to God, will mean that you will never desire for an instant to leave that will.
1: And God is all merciful. Mm -hmm. The greatest attribute of God is his divine mercy.
0: Actually, that's not true. It's his three-point shot. Really? (laughs) The greatest attribute of God
1: is his three-pointer.
0: People don't realize that. It's very Trinitarian, though.
1: I see thank you, you all there. for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the Coco music. Bum, 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 hey, bum, you know bum, what? Bum. Go and sin no more because we're all going to die.
0: Frater memento mori. Mori. All right. Adios. Thank you all.